Amen. Please be seated. If you have a Bible, you can open to Luke's Gospel. We'll look at chapter 5, verses 17 through 26 this morning. There are some Bibles available on the table in the back there if you need one. Um, So we're in a series on the life of Jesus Christ that we started in Advent, uh, which is a reminder and a celebration of the beginning of his life as a human being, God coming into the world. And uh, the series will take us through Easter, which is uh, the reminder and celebration of uh, sort of toward the end of his life on earth before he ascended into heaven. So um, we're learning in this series on uh, his life what Jesus wants us to know about himself. Right? Uh, and especially through Luke's gospel, uh, as Luke recorded, what Jesus wants us to know about himself. In fact, we're learning, um, at the very same time, we're learning about what God wants us to know about himself, because Jesus is God. Uh, he's God the Son. He's the second person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's, the, the Son is Jesus. Jesus is God, and his being God the Son does not make him any less God than God the Father. I think that's sometimes hard for us to grasp conceptually, but uh, just because he is the Son doesn't mean he's any less God than the Father. So when we see Jesus Christ in the Gospels, we are seeing God himself, Uh, God who became also a human being for us, for our salvation. And that's the mystery that we need to keep in mind as we read through the Gospels. In Jesus Christ, we see a man who reveals God to us. That's the mystery. In Jesus Christ, we see a man who reveals God to us because he is God. Uh, And that uh, mystery will help us to discover the true significance of our passage this morning. Uh, It's not about, uh, if you've looked at the passage ahead of time, it's not about how to get healed of physical ailments or um, how to get other felt needs met. It's not primarily about that. It's certainly not meant to make you feel guilty for not having strong enough faith to get God's miracle in your life. It's not at all the point of the passage this morning. This passage is good news about what kind of God we see in Jesus Christ, and it's the good news that God wants us to know about himself. Uh, We all have our preconceptions about what God is like. We all have preconceptions and assumptions, uh, presuppositions about what God is like, and these are preconceptions that we probably would not categorize as good news, generally. Uh, There are assumptions about God that drive our thoughts, even subconsciously, (laughs) drive our words, drive our actions and these preconceptions about God, we would not categorize as good news. God overrides all of our preconceptions about himself with a full disclosure of himself, a true disclosure of himself. And that disclosure, that revelation is the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it is meant to be categorized as good news. And in our passage, um, we learn simply and clearly that God is a forgiving God. God is a forgiving God, and that disclosure that true conception about God should drive our thoughts and our words and our actions. So let's pray and then we'll read from Luke's gospel. Our Father in heaven, we would not know you unless you revealed yourself to us. 
And the supreme revelation that you have given us is in your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we pray that as we come to the good news about him, that you would also help us by your Holy Spirit to understand your word, to rejoice at your revelation, because apart from your Spirit's help and apart from your Son's disclosure of you, we would not know you and we would be lost. And so uh, we pray for these things in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior. Amen. On one of those days, as Jesus was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus, but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let, down his, uh, let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your, son, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this that speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question your hearts? Which is easier, to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise be to you, O Christ. <clears throat> so um, just before this passage, this is kind of an interesting way to start a passage. On one of those days, as he was teaching, it's uh, referring to um, the days when he had been going around Galilee healing people. So just before this passage, there was a leper who begged Jesus, Lord, if you will... You can make me clean. And Jesus said, I will be clean. So, um, so Jesus is not reluctant. He's willing to heal people. And he's able. Right? He can do it. And so Jesus is good. I mean, uh, you've got a recipe for goodness right there. He's willing and able to heal uh, lepers and broken people. And the man was healed by his touch. And great crowds came to Jesus to hear him and to be healed by him. And all of that is kind of set up for our passage, which is more than just a healing story, right? Among um, other things, it's also a showdown with the Pharisees, who were the most powerful religious group among the Jews at that time. Because of what people had heard about Jesus, there was a huge crowd at this house, uh, wherever he was, and the religious experts and the leaders had come even from very far away, right? They'd come from Jerusalem uh, to... I'll just observe. Right. Um, it says in verse 17, they were sitting. They were sitting, and that's the position of a judge. Right. They were sitting as judges. They were sitting in judgment. 
They were there to determine what good religious people should think about all this. And, um, and it says in verse 17, the, the power of the Lord was with him to heal. So he was doing that right in front of them. Jesus was openly demonstrating divine power. That's what that means. It's the power of the Lord is divine power um, in his ability to heal people. He was doing thing, things that no one, not even the prophets, right, the Old Testament prophets of Israel, they couldn't do these things. Um, no one could do these things except for God. It was the, the power of the Lord was with him to heal. <clears throat> And the Pharisees, who were thinking themselves to be judges, they were witnesses to it. They saw it. They saw him do the things that no one could do but God. And then, here come uh, this desperate uh, paralytic and his friends looking for any way possible to get this guy in front of Jesus. Because they know that he is willing and he is able to heal uh, people even like him. Even people who are uh, totally paralyzed. And they wreck the roof of the house to lower him down, which Jesus takes as a sign of their faith. They're willing to go to great lengths as a sign of their faith. They know Jesus is something. Amen. And the passage hinges on the fact that the first thing that Jesus does is not heal him. That's the whole point. It all hinges on the fact that he doesn't heal him right there. He forgives him. And maybe you've read this passage before, or other passages in the Gospels where Jesus doesn't quite do what you'd expect him to do, and it kind of just doesn't make sense, and so you kind of move on and don't really think too much about the, the, um, the strangeness. And um, maybe you thought it was a bit odd. It is odd. It is very odd that this guy who's desperate for healing comes in, and they go to great lengths to get him healed, and the first thing Jesus does is not heal him. That's very odd, and it should make us notice and pay attention. And uh, let me encourage you, as you're reading the Bible, you come across things that just kind of don't make sense. It, it's calling your attention to something, right? So explore it. Think about it. But <clears throat> apparently, of all the people coming to see Jesus for healing, there's a great crowd in this house. Of all the people that he touches or speaks to, and they are made whole, uh, of all those people, he sees the faith of the paralytic and his friends, and he chooses to make an object lesson of this particular encounter, right? Because <clears throat> we've got a lot of uh, healings. Jesus did a ton more healing than uh, is recorded in the Gospels. Each of these healing accounts is recorded for a specific purpose, because it, this is not just him being nice to somebody and restoring his health. It, he's making an object lesson of this, and he sees their faith, and he says, man, your sins are forgiven you. Your sins are forgiven you. And the Pharisees, who had been seeing divine healing power at work all day long, they suddenly start fuming over what Jesus said. Um, it says the scribes and Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? So who is this that arrogates to himself the authority that God alone has? So Dan Doriani um, says that the Pharisees immediately recognized that Jesus was claiming deity. They immediately recognized that he was claiming deity. This, the reasoning goes this way, Doriani says, only the, the person offended can forgive a wrong. If I offend John, it makes no sense to apologize to Mark. I must go to John, 
whom I offended. Therefore, it is senseless for Jesus to forgive a man he just met if Jesus is merely a man. When he says your sins are forgiven, he implies that the paralytic has sinned against him. Thus, Jesus claims to be God because only God is offended by every sin and only God can forgive all sin. It says in Isaiah 43, God, God says, You have burdened me with your sin. You have wearied me with your iniquities. I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Right. So to a Jew at that time, um, blasphemy, which is what they charge Jesus with here, <laughs> blasphemy is a pretty big deal, uh, Leviticus 24 says, Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All of the congregation shall stone him. Right? So it's a big deal. It, it really would be blasphemy worthy of death to claim to forgive sins against God if Jesus weren't actually God himself. It would be blasphemy. And he would be worthy of death. If Jesus is not, if he is actually God, then he can say what he just said and it's fine, but if if he's not God, then he's dead. According to God's own word. And unfortunately, you get the pretty clear sense that the Pharisees weren't really interested in exploring the legitimacy of Jesus' claim, right? Um, they weren't really interested in answers to their internal questionings. Well, is he really God? Can he legitimately say this? Or is he blaspheming and should we kill him? Right? Um, they, they could have just asked for clarification or they... They could have trusted his words based on the divine healing power that he'd been demonstrating right in front of them all day long. Right? But instead, they fumed and they seethed inwardly, which shows that they already had preconceived judgments about him. They just didn't like him. And maybe he was God. But they didn't really want to know that. And Jesus would set them straight because God wants us all to know him. Even these people. He wants us all to know him. So in verse 22, when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Right? So um, you've heard people say, I'm a pretty good judge of character. Uh, yeah, it's not that. He's not just reading people. He's literally reading their minds. Um, he's, he's, he's reading the thoughts of their hearts. He's revealing the thoughts of their hearts, just as uh, Simeon had prophesied that he would when he was a baby in the temple in Luke 2. He's going to be the one who reveals the thoughts from many hearts. Only God knows the thoughts of our hearts like this, right? Nothing is hidden from his sight. So Jesus, having already demonstrated the divine power to heal, further demonstrates divine omniscience almost humorously, right? I can see from your thoughts whether you're wondering whether I'm really God or not. Um, but he addresses their unspoken resistance to his divinity, his claim of divinity. It says in verse 23, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? Which one's easier to say? Uh, now, technically, it's probably easier to heal someone's body than it is to actually offer them divine, eternal forgiveness and reconcile them to God. So it's probably easier to do the healing. 
Um, but the point is that it's easier to say. It's easier to say your sins are forgiven you than it is to say rise up and walk because no one can tell whether you've spoken truly or not when you say your sins are forgiven you. No one can tell if you've spoken truly. God's forgiveness is an invisible matter of his heart. That God's forgiveness is an invisible matter of his heart. It's not externally verifiable by physical, material things. Right? Any charlatan could tell you that God forgives you, and it doesn't really matter if it's true or not. You'd never really know it. So someone might be able to persuade you that they had the authority to declare that your sins are forgiven, even if they really had no such authority. It would be easier to say that. But if you're trying to persuade somebody that you actually have the power to heal, that you have divine power over the material world, uh, then when you say rise and walk, that's verifiable. And if you say that and the guy doesn't get up, then you're clearly a fraud. Right? Um, so if Jesus is claiming to be able to do what only God can do, then he'll have to prove it by visibly doing what only God can do, which is what he's been showing you all morning, right? Um, <clears throat> And he submits himself to that test. He submits himself to that test in order to persuade them of the good news. He says that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And there's not even time for suspense to mount. Is this really going to happen, right? Because immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he'd been lying on and went home glorifying God. Um, in no uncertain terms, Jesus has demonstrated that he does, in fact, have divine authority to forgive sins. And he did all of this because he wants us to know that. He did all of this because he wants us to know that he has divine authority to forgive sins. That you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So, this is not primarily a story about healing a paralytic, right? That is amazing and wonderful and everything, but it, it served another greater purpose. Jesus, God himself, thinks it is more important that you know for sure that he has authority to forgive sins. Jesus does the impossible. He does the healing so, so that he can prove that he can and will do the impossible, which is forgive your sins. He proves that he is, in fact, God. And plenty of people saw this. There are plenty of credible eyewitnesses to things like this on occasion after occasion for years. Um, Jesus proves that he is God publicly and visibly for the historical record. He proves that he is God by healing a broken man, ultimately by showing that he has the authority to forgive those who have sinned against him. Jesus authoritatively reveals God to us. We can trust that. We can trust that when we're looking at Jesus, we're seeing God himself. T.F. Torrance says that uh, there is no God behind the back of Jesus. 
There's not, you see something in Jesus, and that really, you know, God is really kind of mysterious and unknowable behind him, and you can't really know God through, there's, there is no God behind the back of Jesus. The most terrifying thought that you can have is, what if God is really a monster? What if all this goodness stuff is fake and pretend? What if he's just evil? What if he's just a tyrant? What if he's just playing games? There is no God behind the back of Jesus. Jesus reveals God with, with God. When you look at Jesus, what you see is what you get. God is and acts the way that Jesus is and acts, and that is good news. That's good news. Jesus reveals God to us because he is God, and he's a forgiving God. Jesus' divine authority is an authority of love, an authority of grace and peace and freedom. Now, um, <clears throat> I don't know if our culture is much different from others in this respect. We don't seem to connect too well with a felt need for forgiveness. That's <laughs> right. just not one of our big felt needs. Right. What do you consider to be your greatest need? What do you feel? to be your greatest need? What problem do you face that you just can't handle on your own? What needs of yours come up most frequently and most desperately when you're talking with your friends? Relationship problems or financial problems or medical problems? You look at the paralytic and everybody knows what his greatest need is, right? I mean, if he could have one wish, <clears throat> everyone knows what it would be. It is obvious. He and his friends surely thought his greatest need was for healing. This guy has absolutely no freedom whatsoever. He can't even move without the help of other people. How frustrating is that? How terrible is that? How needy? How, who, could, who could be more needy? And they went to great lengths to get what they thought was most important, but Jesus saw what was truly the man's greatest need. His deepest need was far greater than his physical paralysis. He saw his deepest need as the need for forgiveness, and he gave him what he needed most. He didn't lecture him right, on misunderstanding his own greatest need. He just he forgave him. And then he, had, he proved he had the authority to forgive him and in order to persuade him that it was true, that his sins were forgiven, he healed him. Right? So what do you consider to be your greatest need? What do you feel? Do you feel the need for forgiveness? Honestly, I don't much. Right? And that is absolutely part of the problem. <laughs> that is part of the problem. Most of the time, we don't even take God seriously enough to be struck with the gravity of our having sinned against him. I mean, we're in a pretty bad spot. Uh, we're in dire need of forgiveness because God is utterly holy. And God's holiness is this impossible concept for us to grasp. Theologians will say that God's holiness is his being distinct, his being unlike us, his being set apart from us. But since God is so unlike us, since he is so holy, we don't even know what that means. <laughs> Suffice it to say, God is morally perfect. God is absolutely pure. God is love. 
His eternal being is three persons in divine blessed communion. God is completely worthy of all the best of our thoughts and all the best of our affections. And we utterly fail even to think about him like he deserves. Let alone love him and honor him and be thankful to him and glorify him like he deserves. We don't even feel appropriately badly about our sin. Most people have no concept whatsoever about the justice of God, the righteousness of God to punish our sins. Hell, at best, seems like a bit of an overreaction. Sin really isn't that big of a deal, right? Eternal punishment, eternal separation from God, eternal disintegration, is, that's a bit of an overreaction, isn't it, to our sin? But God takes our sins personally. He takes our sins personally. And they're an infinitely big deal to him. Because he's an infinitely glorious God and we don't even care. One day, a billion years from now, when we're all sitting together, hopefully all of us sitting together in the new heavens and the new earth in God's immediate and glorious presence, we will wonder how we ever could have ignored him even for a second. Let alone deliberately rebelled against him. Sin is a big deal, <clears throat> but no one talks about that. No one talks about their sins. No one talks about their gnawing consciences. Um, when you hear people complain or express worry about their troubles, do you, do you ever hear them talk about their moral culpability and real guilt? Is that what we talk about when we talk about our troubles, our worries? No one does that, <clears throat> but the greatest need of everyone on earth is to address that. It's, it's the need for forgiveness If complete paralysis is irrelevant compared to the need for forgiveness, then any problem takes a backseat to the need for forgiveness. And uh, the good news is, you don't even know that. You don't even know your greatest need. And you probably will never in this life appropriately feel your greatest need in accordance with divine reality, and God forgives you anyway. God forgives you anyway. He forgives you before you even thought to ask for it. That's why God the Son came into the world 2,000 years ago. We can't even imagine the extreme lengths that the Son of God went to, that Jesus went to, in order to forgive your sins, to take away your guilt. It was more than simply a matter of speaking the words and being done with it all. Right? He became a human being so that he could bear our sins on our behalf instead of us. He bore them to the cross and he died under that weight to lift that weight off your shoulders and throw it away from you. Psalm 103 says, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. And Micah 7 says, he will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. They're irretrievable after that. God doesn't just come to a place then where he's not angry with you. The father moves toward you with the same love that he has for his son, his beloved son. And God wants for you to know that. He wants for you to know that he forgives you and that he loves you. He wants for you to rejoice in that and to rest in that.
And the work of forgiveness was accomplished on earth, not invisibly, not invisibly only in the heart of God. It was accomplished on earth, not in the distant heavens, but on the cross, publicly, so that we can all see, so that we can all know that our sins are forgiven. Your family and friends need that forgiveness as just, just as much as you do, right? They need to be told that they need forgiveness just as much as we do because they don't know it like they should, just like you and I don't know it like we should. So uh, your friends and family need to go to church, right? You need to bring them, uh, just like you need to come to church. Um, and as you grow as someone who is dependent on God's grace, then, um, then you'll deepen in your awareness of your ultimate need of forgiveness, you will deepen in that awareness. But even so, most of your time is spent in ignorance of that need, just, just like it is for me. I'm not really going around with that being my number one felt need. Um, but as that awareness deepens, then you'll also need to grow in your trust in God's provision of forgiveness. Um, Jesus did this. He did this unforgettable miracle to convince people that God is a forgiving God still hard for us to believe and that's why we need to stick together and reinforce this for one another and assure each other that one it's okay to acknowledge your guilt it really is okay it's to acknowledge your true need for forgiveness and two that god has forgiveness and god has grace for you in jesus christ you need and i need to be as desperate for god's forgiveness as this paralytic and his friends were desperate to see Jesus for healing. You need to be as determined as they were to see this thing done. Um, what they did, I mean, if you watch like Downton Abbey or anything, no good Englishman would have done what the paralytic and his friends did, right? Entirely improper. Uh, no self-respecting human being could be that desperate for Jesus' mercy to wreck somebody's house and lower somebody down in front of Jesus in the middle of a crowd. No self-respecting human being would do that. So we need to stop being so self-respecting, so self-conscious. There really is no proper way to throw yourself at Jesus' feet and beg him for his mercy. There's no proper way to weep for joy at the forgiveness of your sins. There's no proper way to do that. Dan Doriani again says, when believers talk about seeking God's will, we often say, well, we'll wait and see if God will open a door or close a door. Perhaps. But this story suggests that sometimes the door is open, sometimes the door is closed, and sometimes we have to tear the door off its hinges, whether by ourselves or with the help of friends. Right? So if you've never truly believed and trusted and been assured of the forgiveness that's found in Jesus Christ, you have business to do with Jesus, and you've just got to do it. Um, <clears throat> it's more important, not to minimize the other problems that we have, but it's more important than figuring out who to marry. It's more important than figuring out uh, which school the kids should go to or getting all the mortgage details straightened out. It's more important than finding a job to put food on the table. It's more important than getting health insurance to deal with the cancer. 
is more important. All of those things are important, but they, they just pale in comparison with our need for God's forgiveness. And we can't do that business on our own. We need the help of others. We need the help of the church. And that's why I'm up here talking your ear off. That's why we participate every week together in the confession of sins, right? We do that together. That's real, right? Uh, it really is okay to join your voice with us. And uh, however pitifully and with whatever weak faith you have, just like the rest of us, uh, confess, yeah, I'm, I'm a sinner. <clears throat> and, uh, and let that be a reminder, don't get all freaked out when other people actually sin, right? We all acknowledge that every week, uh, that we're in this together. But look here, God forgives sins. That's what he came to earth to do. And there's nothing but your own pride preventing you from going to him. So don't be like the Pharisees who clearly saw what was happening and uh, didn't repent and turn to Jesus for, the, for mercy. They thought themselves to be judges of him. You can't sit in judgment over Jesus. He sits in judgment over you, and he's the one telling you you need his forgiveness. And um, like the crowds looking for healing, you should be falling all over yourselves looking for that. All right, so... Amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we've seen extraordinary things today, uh, especially in the forgiveness of their sins, and only God can do that, and in Jesus Christ, he does it. So we stand in awe of him. Amen. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father in heaven, uh, with you there is forgiveness so that you may be feared. You truly are holy and perfect. You truly are loving and gracious and merciful. And we have seen all of these things in Jesus Christ. He has captivated our hearts. He has assured us of your love. And so we love you because you first loved us and you gave your son Jesus for us. We pray that you would um, continue to strike your love and your grace and your gospel deeper into our hearts so that we would be a a people who know more deeply our need for forgiveness, that in coming to a deeper knowledge of that need, uh, we would love you for your grace more and more. We would be transformed into the kind of people who um, don't condemn others for their need of forgiveness, but who uh, love to share Jesus with them and uh, delight with everyone in this world that you have made that you have sent him for our salvation. We pray that our salvation, our forgiveness, our relationship with you would truly be uh, our vision for life and for eternity. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.